0: Welcome to Chicagoland Parenting Stories. I am your host, Lisa Zimmerman. Let's get started with today's parenting story. Welcome back to the next episode of Chicagoland Parenting Stories. Today, we have a team joining us, the first of which is Meg Smith. Meg Smith is co-owner of Cloud9 Birth Services. She is a birth and postpartum doula, and she's located in the Western Suburbs. We also have with us Terry Hatfield. Terry is a birth and postpartum doula, and she is on the team with Meg at Cloud9 Birth Services, and she is also located in the Western Suburbs. We are recording today on June 20th, and this is episode number five. Welcome, Meg. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having
1: me. Would you like to go ahead and introduce your children by name and age? Yes, sure. I have a, my oldest is Alex. He's 24. My daughter, Julia is 19 and I have a three and a half year old grandson.
2: Oh, that's sweet. Okay. And Terry, would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Terry Hatfield and my, I have two children. My daughter is my oldest and she's 12 and my son is eight. Okay. Terry, I'm going to go ahead and start with you. If you had to describe your parenting style, what would it be? I try to give my kids independence while not hovering, I guess, is my is my parenting style. So let them try it on their own first. And then if need be, step in and help, but try my darndest to not to. Um, whether that's trying to tie their shoelaces when they're little to navigating friendships now that my daughter's older. Um, So I think that's probably my biggest thing. And always ask questions, always clarify what's going on so that you can give the correct information or advice or listen, depending on what it is. That's
0: a great idea. I don't know how many times I've realized that my son and I, we always say we're on different sides of the road going in opposite directions because I think we're talking about one thing and he thinks we're talking about the other. Without disclosing your age, which generation are you a part of, Terry?
2: I am a part of kind of two. I am the very tail end of the millennials and whatever, what came before that, Gen, Gen X. Gen X. Yeah. So I'm like right in the middle of it. So I could, could potentially be either, honestly. We're like, what I read an article once that said we're the forgotten kids.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, that's no fun. I know. <laughs>
2: how would you describe how you were parented? Um, I would say a lot kind of the same. Um, I grew up on a farm out in the middle of nowhere in Minnesota. And my parents gave us a lot of independence. Um, there was a lot of things to do. And you had to figure it out early. So we had, you know, we were latchkey kids, we came home off the bus, we, um, we were given a lot of responsibility. And I think it made me, you know, a better adult for it, honestly. But I would say that's pretty much how I was parented as well. That's interesting. It's very
0: rare. I think that you have people that say, you know what, I'm going to do it exactly how my parents did it because it seemed to work so well. So that's really nice. Okay, Meg, uh, if you could describe your parenting style, what would it be?
1: Um, I think similar to what Terry said, Terry and I are very similar in a lot of ways. And I think some, like I said, similarly, I try to give my kids space and let them learn on their own, but also be there when they have questions or if You know, they try something and it doesn't work out. We can talk through it. Now, my kids are older, so I've had to change my parenting style as they have gotten older. And so it's more of being there when they need me, you know, and making sure that I because when your kids are little, that you're in the home together all the time. You're kind of managing their duties, right, and their responsibilities. You're taking them to practice. You're going to games, things like that. Whereas when they're older, you've got to make the effort to go, you know, to see them and be with them and really be there. So when I have time with the kids, I really try to, which I I can't even say kids or adults, um, you know, and just spend that time with them and be mindful of being in that moment. But when they were, excuse me, when they were little, um, you know, just like Terry said, I would let them try things out and be there. But also I I really felt like I wanted them to have a routine and kind of be, you know, having us around and answering questions that they needed. Without disclosing your age, which generation are you a part of? I'm going to disclose my age because I don't even know what generation I'm a part of. (laughs) I think Gen Z, maybe? No. No, you are a Gen Xer and you should be proud. (laughs) I'm not a boomer. (laughs) I can tell you that much. You're
0: not a boomer. That's (laughs) That's for sure. (laughs) <laughs> I always say that we're like the best generation because we had like all the forms of music. So I had like eight tracks in the car. There were albums at home, cassettes, CDs into MP3s and now 45s, digital. Final, exactly. Yes. Gen I, Z
2: is now, right? I don't know. Gen Z is now. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Gen Z is
0: now. <laughs> but it's okay. You know, so now, you know, right now I know. Exactly. So when you see the memes on Facebook about Gen <laughs> Xers, like should be retiring in uh, shopping malls. Now you'll understand why. Now I will understand why. Okay. How would you describe how you were parented?
1: Um, when my When I was growing up, my parents, we moved a lot because my dad's job took us to different areas. So it was very important for us. It was my mom, my dad, my sister, and I. And so we were all close together. It was always the four of us kind of doing all the things together. And so when we, um, when I was growing up, family was really important. And so I've tried to instill that in my kids too. And so my parents live close, my sister lives close, my nephews. So we see each other quite a bit. And like I said, my kids are older. So we have at least once a week, we have family dinners together and, you know, try to spend that time, like I said, mindfully together.
0: That's really sweet. And it still works out to try to meet every week.
1: Yeah, it does. We get it. We have to get a little creative, especially when everybody's working and things like that. But yeah, we really try to make the time to get together. That's amazing.
0: Um, For those of people out there that don't understand what you do, how do you help, Meg, uh, new and um, expecting families as
1: a labor and postpartum doula? As a labor doula, what we do is doulas provide three types of support. We provide informational support, physical support, and emotional support. And so what we do is we, during pregnancy, we help parents kind of get prepared and answer questions during their pregnancy. And then once labor begins, we're there to suggest some different positions to get the baby to descend and rotate and to make labor um, a little shorter and more comfortable for the For the mom and then we're also there for the parent or i'm sorry for the partner we're there to support the partner let them know what's going on answer questions that type of thing in terms of postpartum support what we're doing is we're really helping the parents feel reassured that they know what they're doing to follow their instincts but also that they can ask questions and both as postpartum and birth doulas we're non-judgmental. We're here in a purely supportive role and we're not making choices for them. We're not part of their medical care team where we're making decisions based on like I said their medical facts. We are base, we are making we are supportive based on what is going on with the client and not making any decisions for them, helping them feel empowered to make their decisions both in labor and in their postpartum period.
0: Do you help them create a plan then um, that you know we you would try to follow if possible and then therefore everybody remembers what everybody wants because I can imagine in the throes of things
1: sometimes it's easy to forget. Yes. So we have two prenatal sessions that we do with our clients. I do the first one where it's more like a childbirth education type of, cor- type of session. And then Terry goes for the second session and she goes over birth planning and comfort measures. And we've had enough experience at hospitals in the area that we know what the different options are at specific hospitals. So Terry helps the clients come up with what their birth plan would be. We call it more birth preferences because things change in labor. And so we're there to help them again to navigate those changes, but also to have a plan because we have some clients that things are very important to them. Like um, last Friday, I was at a birth and it was very important to this client for her to go unmedicated. And so, you know, we she did it. She worked really hard and she had, you know, some certain things. Also, um, a female care provider was very important for her. And her doctor happened to be on vacation. So when we were at the hospital, we advocated for her to have another female OB that, provided care for her. So we are, like I said, while we do a list of birth preferences, we're also there with them mindful of, she told us that it was important that she went unmedicated, or it was important for her to have a female OB. So we do help them, like I said, to feel empowered to make those those decisions for themselves.
0: That's fantastic, because I could understand it being very bewildering to both parents, you know, when things are going down to be able to have somebody who can actually use the language of advocacy must be so important.
1: Right. And we're also, we're kind of the calm in the storm because most times things are fine, but sometimes things change really quickly. And sometimes, you know, it's, it can be a little bit overwhelming for clients when things are, you know, say something's trending towards a cesarean or all of a sudden, you know, baby's got to go to the NICU after birth or things like that. So we're there to bring that calmness, but also explain things quickly, you know, where we can see something if the labor is trending towards a cesarean delivery instead of, you know, vaginal delivery as they were expecting, we're going to explain that to them. So they have a few minutes to process that before four nurses come running in the door, or they're having to sign waivers for surgery and things like that. We're there to explain mm-hmm. it to them. Terry, what is your favorite thing about the work that you do? Really
2: supporting the families, honestly, because I think that Um, sometimes they feel like they're going they're being like pushed through this process instead of becoming a part of the process and I think helping them understand that they have they have options they you know they have their opinion should be heard so I think really supporting them and especially when it comes to postpartum support I think that a lot of times they feel a little bit shut in and it's important to have somebody there that's doesn't that needs gives them the the kind of support that they want and they need um not somebody that just comes in and wants to necessarily hold the baby but somebody that does the dishes or somebody that will sit and listen to them talk about whatever problem that they've had overnight or whatever it's a safe space for them and they don't feel like it's a family member or even their best friend who they're going to carry this with them forever it's somebody that comes in in this time specifically for them and cares for them um and during both of these, although we love the babies and the babies are super important, we also remember that there's a mom and there's a partner that are becoming they're becoming new themselves. They're being born an, anew at this point too. When they have the baby, when they come home, life is different. And being there to kind of hold them through that time period, I think is probably my favorite part about it because I think it's so important think we sometimes get super focused on this cute creature that's just arrived, um, that there's somebody else to take care of and remember that they need that too. There's definitely two patients, that is for sure, or two clients.
1: Um, What is the biggest challenge about the work you do? I would say sometimes... um it can be a little bit of an energy depletion because when we're with clients in labor, it's, we're all there, we are all in, we are there. Um, specifically this birth last week, the my client, our client's contractions were every three minutes and it was intense from the beginning. And every three minutes she just needed me to hold her hand and look her in the eye and let her know that she was doing a wonderful job and just to breathe and get ready for the next one. So sometimes coming out of that, it can be a little bit tiring. Um, but it's Terry and I, and I know sometimes doulas have a hard time with kind of organizing their schedule and things like that. But Terry have, Terry and I have fantastic communication between the two of us and there are two of us. So we share the, all the work that we do and that helps a
2: lot. It makes a huge difference to be on a team versus be solo. And I feel like it's good for the clients too, cause they know one of us will be there. Mm-hmm. Um, into what Meg was saying about depletion, I think it's important for all doulas to figure out how to shed some of it if it didn't go the way you were hoping it to go. Because not, I mean, as much as I would love to say they're all perfect, um, sometimes it there's a lot of emotion that's running high, um, especially if things were tough. So I think it's important to have that person yourself to go to. And I think having a team is has helped us both a lot. In that way. Um, But I think that's the hardest. And even even the scheduling, I feel like because there's two of us, we've kind of gotten it down where if something's going on important for one of us, we're there and we have really supportive families. I think that also helps, too.
0: I'm sure the family has to be a big piece of it. You know, it's interesting when you talk about this, because it always makes me think of like people that are in like the mental health field, like let's say your um, LCPC or your LCSW, they are required to have a therapist due to the type of work that they do. But it's so interesting because there's so many of us in the birth world is what we would call it, right? Birth and postpartum, Mm -hmm. that that's really not like a job requirement for us, but man, so many of us could actually really use it and not in a way that like, it, it's like a bad connotation, but in a way of being able to process the things that happen so you can be fresh for the next one,
1: because right. I
0: find it's really hard sometimes to have the traumatic scenarios, you know, whether it's breath, breast, you know, breastfeeding, birth, postpartum or whatever, and then to flip the switch into the next one and walk in new. And I think that that's where, you know, like therapists are really good at giving you like the tools to do that. But it's just so interesting that, you know, I always feel like, I wish that like nurses, for instance, I wish that we were required for that. I feel like, right. We would do such a better job at taking care of ourselves because nurses, you know, they historically do not take care of themselves, but also they, there's also a phrase that nurses eat their young. Like the, the new nurse is like a new nurse until you've been through a few battles together and then you're like war buddies. And then it's like, oh, okay, I can trust you. But really that mentality doesn't really need to be there.
2: Well, I also I think-, think it's important for your your client or your patients because when you carry all of that with you, you need to shut it before you walk in the door for the next person because that you can't see the past trauma walking in when it hasn't even happened. Like this might go perfect. You don't know how, I mean, out of the 500 plus births that we've gone to, we know no two are going to be the same. We can guarantee that. And so it's important to be able to say, okay, well, maybe we had a hard one last week, or maybe we were with a postpartum client that had a traumatic birth or had a really hard time feeding or whatever. But now we're going into this next client. We can't see the past client in the new client. Is that? if that makes sense. I know that's important. It does. And I feel like
0: randomly, sometimes, you know, things bring up other things that you don't expect to. And that is really tricky too, because it's not fair to the other client or, you know, ethical even to carry that over. But at the same time, within the realm of what we do working with new families, it can be very taxing on you emotionally, but Also, the clients themselves, the way that they communicate with us (laughs) can also be very stressful. Uh, Mm -hmm. Do you, Meg, what types of um, boundaries do you all have set
1: to protect yourselves as doulas and as a team? I think that's a really good question. And one thing I was going to say is that it's nice. It's really nice that Terry and I are partners because we can process with each other different things that have gone on. And it's not that we're, you know, not even violating HIPAA or anything, because we're taking clients on together. So being able to talk openly about what's going on, or something that bothered us, or, you know, something that we're carrying is, it's really nice to have that person there that knows exactly what you're talking about. Um, and then also, like you said, ex- I, I have always I've traditionally tried to be clear with my boundaries with clients, um, because I think it's very easy to text clients, you know, times clients can text you all hours of the day, all hours of the night and that type of thing. And so um, I it, things like um, being friends with clients on social media. I'm very careful about that, Um, you know, accepting friend requests instead of we have a cloud nine account. So I would do, you know, have obviously have um, friend requests through that, but not necessarily just through my personal page. Um, And I think that it's you want to have that boundary. But also, as Terry was saying, you know, when you go from one client to the next, you have to shed whatever you're carrying with you, even from your personal life. Because you have got to walk in, our job is to be supportive, to be there in that moment with them, not to tell them horror stories of what happened before, or, oh, you know, all the things that are going on in your day that's stressing you out, you just need to be there for them. And sometimes that, you know, again, that's a boundary where you're not necessarily, you want to be personal with them and personable and build a rapport, but also they don't need to know all the details of your life. They'd want to know that you're there supporting them, especially in the postpartum period. People, I think Terry mentioned it before, as they hire us for postpartum support, they want, we're coming in to do a job. You know, people have friends or family that can come over and they can entertain them and they have to get dressed and tidy up the kitchen and things like that. When we're coming in, we're coming in to do a job and we're coming in there to support them. So we're coming in where we're going to clean up the kitchen or throw in a load of laundry. I think Terry and I both could sit for three hours and talk to anybody. But when we're going in t- for postpartum support, yes. The clients want to talk a little bit, but they also want to go take a rest or they want to go take a shower, you know, things like that. So we can provide support for them, share, you know, some stories anecdotally, things like that, but also just really know we are there for them. And then whatever we're, you know, having on our mind personally or with another client, Terry and I talk to each other about that. And again, having incredibly supportive families is very important because you know, we could be in the middle of a dinner and somebody's water breaks and I've got to go, you know, or I've had, again, I've been a dealer since 2009. So in 14 years, there's been plenty of times where I have a house full of family and I have to go, you know, or we're having a family party and my mom and my sister and my husband are setting up at my house because I'm not home yet from a birth. So it's really just, you know, setting boundaries, but also being a little bit flexible with our type of work.
0: And it's interesting because as much as you don't want to transfer any of that to clients, you also don't want to bring it home to your family right. because that's not fair so that's where I'm sure you all have long conversations on the way home sometimes, just to make Harry sure. Harry and I you, do.
1: We will text. You watch you. I'll call door. you.
2: I'll call you in ten minutes. I'm leaving <laughs> yes. now. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And you,
1: and you know, because we've been communicating throughout the birth or the postpartum shift or whatever, what what's going on? So you know, you just need to download for a few minutes before you walk in, just like you said, till you walk into the door of your of your home. Or you're just, did I do this right? Was this do you think that this was, you know, what we, what I should have done? What else could I have done? That type of thing. But I think we do the doula. We definitely do the doula. The doulas need a little dueling and that's okay. Yes. Uh, Terry, did
0: you always want to be a parent?
2: I did. I think ever since I was little, I knew I would be a mom. Um, I would be a parent. I I always wanted two kids. That's what I have. Um, I... I I always wanted to be a mom and I don't, I don't know why. Like it wasn't, I wasn't like, I want to stay home and like raise kids my whole life. That's not what it was, but I feel like I always wanted to have kids and I guess enjoy the things that they enjoy, enjoy them. And now that they're getting into the thick of kids sports and everything and everything else, I think I am enjoying that too. Like I'm trying to enjoy every phase from baby to, you know, infant to toddler to, um, now we're in like preteen land with my daughter and, and onward and upward. But I always wanted to be a parent. Um, I couldn't tell you why, though. I just maybe it's because that's what people do. I don't know. I love babysitting as a kid. I thought about being a teacher at one point in time. But I realized that 24 human tiny humans was just <laughs> a little too much. So like I did not go it. down that
0: path. But, but yeah. Harry, at what age do you think?
2: that you really start parenting your children. Like what kid age? Yeah. I think from the beginning. I think from the beginning you're showing them that you love them and you care for them and they're you know, they say little people little problems, big people big problems. So I think you're showing them from the beginning that, you know, you're coming to them when they're when they cry, you're showing them that you care and what care and love looks like. And that changes as they get a little bit older and you're teaching them the not i to say the ways of life but how to navigate things how to navigate sharing how to navigate um, new relationships how to navigate all of these things and i think modeling that behavior is important too being able to make sure that i remember they're human and they're people um, from the get-go you know things from when they're little and they drop milk to be like we can drop. We can drop a cup too. To now, my daughter being twelve, being for you know, she leaves her cell phone in the house, and instead of getting upset about that, being like, yeah, that's something I do too. Let's go back and grab it. Um. So I think you start parenting from the beginning. It just changes over time. So you're showing them different things and different aspects based on where they're at.
0: Hmm. Meg, did you have to parent your children differently, and now that you're also a grandmother, do you? find that that relationship is also a little different in terms of how you're almost co-parenting with your child.
1: Yes. So um I don't know if I necessarily had to parent my children differently um because they are obviously they're different people, right? They have different personalities, they have different strengths, they have different weaknesses. So I really and especially as they're getting older um just try to meet them where they are. And the kids laugh because I, you know, again, they're older. Now our daughter's back from college, but when she was away from school, I would just, or away at school, I would call them and be like, okay, guys, it's a mental health check-in. You know, how are we doing? And they're like, oh, mom, but they would talk to me and they would tell me things. And so I felt like that was, you know, that was important. And again, our family, my nuclear family and then my extended family with my sister my brother-in-law my parents we're all very close so we've always spent a lot of time together and I think my kids knew that that you know that we're all together and that if you have a question about something you can call Auntie Kate or you can call you know if you want to call and talk to Nana you can do that but you know we're always we're always here to talk we're always here to to listen and help you navigate through things um and then what was the second question
0: Um, I was just asking about like being a grandparent.
1: Oh,
0: how does that factor in?
1: Well, first of all, he's the smartest, most beautiful baby on the face of the earth. So he gets whatever he wants. (laughs) Um, But it's, you know, it's funny to watch. I had, I learned, I, first of all, he's my grandson, right? I'm not his mom. So I watched the relationship with my son and his fiance, and I was very careful not to impede on that they are the ones making the choices they are the one parent they are the ones parenting him so it was interesting to watch their relationship change as they became parents but also being respectful of um their choices and what they're doing and not like i said not kind of putting in what i would say well we did this with you when you were little or we should you guys should be doing this that's not my place to say. So it was interesting navigating that at the beginning. Um and they also when the when the pandemic hit, they were living with us. So we were all together. And so it was an amazing time. We got to spend so much time together and get so close with each other. But again, there was a lot of time together where I was, you want to talk about setting boundaries again, I was setting that boundary where they're the ones making the choice, because I would let I would let him do whatever he wants. You want cookies for breakfast, you can have cookies for breakfast. But (laughs) you know, they're knowing that he needs to have fruit at each meal, you know, and things like that. And my son was so funny, especially with my husband. He's like, why did you guys get so relaxed? And it's because we don't have to establish those routines. We don't have to, you know, obviously we want him to know the difference between right and wrong, but we don't have to We're a step back from that. And so it's really, I love, he's three and a half and I love spending time with him at this age because he's really silly and trying different things and learning. Um, I think I told Terry, he's, um, he's going to start to play t-ball. And so we had a tea set up in the backyard and I, he had a metal bat, like a real bat. And so I came inside to do something and he followed me in. I didn't realize he was inside. And a three-year-old inside with a bat is like a bull in a China shop. So he's like swinging it around and he knocks over a, a little lamp and he's like, I'm sorry, Mimi. I'm sorry. I said, buddy, it's okay. I'm like, you're just too strong. And he's like, "Yep." Yeah. And so, you know, so then we're, he's going bats outside. Yes. Bats outside. And so I tell my son the story. Oh, I'm sorry. My grandson told my son the story later. And he's like, you would have killed me if I had a bat in the house when I was three. And I'm like, I don't know if you can remember when you were three, but yes, the bats stay outside. So it's just, you know, it's a different, It's a different relationship, but it's also amazing that I get to spend so much time with him. You sound very lucky with that. Uh,
0: Terry, what is your most embarrassing parenting moment?
2: So uh, my daughter when she was about a year a year and a half old the there was an election going on it was when president obama was part it was his first election so you know there's election ads and the the people that are running are everywhere they're all over every magazine and on tv back when people still plugged into cable i guess (laughs) instead of just hulu um Hmm. And we were in the grocery store, and we were going around. And she's seen all these; like she's exposed to all of us everywhere she goes. And so we, she, remember she's a year and a half, so she can't. She's talking, but she's not really talking. So we're walking around, and every black man she sees, she's saying, "Oh mama, oh mama," and I was like, "Oh my gosh, can you not? Can you stop?" I <laughs> so I was like trying to distract her, doing all the things. Not none of that worked. But we got to the checkout. And the man behind the checkout counter, she was like, oh, mama. And he was not amused, like not at all. And I don't know if she was calling her mama or if he, you know, he realized what she was saying. I was like, I'm really sorry, but none none of my apologies could help. But then we had to get in the car and for me to be like, okay, we ha- we can't do that. <laughs> we can't, you know, whether it's uh, you calling everyone mama or everyone not mama. So I was like... It was just one of those moments where you're like, you have to talk to your kids and you have to, and it was like a definitely a wake up call for me to be like, I need to and and we've been we are a very we go to a very diverse church and all kinds of things, but apparently it wasn't enough yet. And so I was like, Well, okay, we need to have more conversations, even though you're a year and a half. Um no, I and was just thinking so- that in my head, like, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, what do you do? Um, I think I was more I felt bad for the man that was mad at us than anything else. And so, yeah,
0: that's a good one. Meg, what is your most embarrassing parenting moment?
1: Um, I'm not sure if it's an embarrassing moment, just a silly story, but it was, it was pretty funny when my daughter was about three. Um, my sister was pregnant with my nephew and she's, <laughs> my sister was like eight months pregnant and her belly button had ulcerated. So it meant, meaning it was sticking out. And um, she said, Auntie Katie, what kind of baby are you going to have? And she said, I'm going to have a boy. And she said, I know, I can see his penis sticking out. When in reality, it was my sister's (laughs) belly button that had been sticking out. But we were in a restaurant. It was pretty funny. What volume was this asked at? And like answer that. You know, it was loud, too. (laughs) We answered it quietly. But you know, the question in her answer was loud.
0: (laughs) That's really funny. (laughs) Um, Terry, if you had friendships when your children were babies,
2: how important are those friendships to you now? And do you still keep in touch? Like my personal relationships. Mm-hmm. I think having mom friends or friend parent friends is extremely important just to go through the throes of life with that people are that are in your kind of stage at the same time is really important. People to bounce questions off of, people to call when you've had a bad day or text or, if I had to, or cheer on people. I think having relationships outside of my nuclear family's important for me to model relationships for my kids and show that friendships are important. Like people are important, you know, like all of the people, our family, our chosen family, all of these people. Um, so I've had a lot of the same friends. And as my kids have gotten older, we've added on, but I think I've had, a, and, and there's been some ebb and flow. There always is, you know, people that are, have our relationships of the time um, or of the moment, but I do, there are quite a few that I've obviously stuck. Um, but I think it's extremely important to have people to talk to that, not just your spouse, you know, not just your parent, you know, your, your mom or dad, I think having people that are like in the thick of it with you, I, I, it, it's so important to have those just to be able to shed parenting situations with, because there's plenty of them, um, or, or, or other people who cheer your kids on, because I think that's important too that, they see that. And as they're going through figuring out life and figuring out friendships, um, you know, as my daughter's really figuring out this tween land, having modeling, those good friendships and those good relationships for her, I think is super important because she can see that, you know, I don't treat my friends that way and that my friends don't treat me that way sort of thing. Um, So I think that's important for kids.
0: Yeah. My son is 11 and he'll be going into sixth grade. And so I'm also embarking on this middle school journey and the next level and, you know, the next step. And, and it is really true. I feel like there's going to be a lot of movement in the friend sphere for him. Um, but I think that he knows that like, you know, there are friends that are like family, right. And family members that are maybe more like friends than family, but also that like, you know, this is how, we treat each other. And it's funny. Cause I'll be like, Oh, what about so-and-so you guys seem like you have a lot in common and he'll be like, Oh no, he's not nice. You know, like there's like he, you can tell he's really deciding like, Oh, you know what? This person's a drag on me. I don't think I want to spend time with them. And right. I don't know if that will continue,
2: but I hope it does. Well, and some of those, you know, the middle or the elementary school friendships really peel away because the pool's bigger. So they realize that it's not a friendship out of requirement anymore. <laughs> That's
0: true. Like you happen to sit next to each other in class and therefore you're best friends. Right. Uh, Meg, what do you see as the biggest trend in parenting right now? Having been in
1: this world for a few years. Right. I was thinking about this this morning when I was out for my walk. And one of the biggest trends that I see that I really appreciate is I think that people are accepting their kids where they are and just letting them be themselves. You know, I see a lot of um, like my, when my daughter was little, she was a silly dresser. She never played dress up, but she always dressed up. Like she wasn't dressing up like a princess. She would dress up like SpongeBob with a rainbow wig. Like she always was just kind of playing around. But when it came to her clothes, she didn't want short shorts. She didn't want traditional girls t-shirts with, you know, with short sleeves. She was a basketball player. She was a soccer player. And so she wanted different, you know, different clothing like that. And so I see that with younger kids, at least from just from my point of view, I see that with younger kids where maybe gender neutral clothing, but also just letting them, you know, kind of I think there are more choices for kids who want to dress a certain, you know, a certain type of way or parents accepting of, um, you know, again, different gender, gender roles with kids that are younger and giving them that safe space to navigate that a little bit. Um, I've just I've just noticed that since, you know, as my kids are getting older and I see that with younger kids.
0: I totally agree with that. I mean, you know, similarly with what's available in the store, I did not want to find out the sex of my child when I was pregnant, because 11 years ago, I would have had everything blue or pink. And I didn't want that. And so I remember someone commenting like, well, you know, because you're not finding out the gender, it's really hard for me to shop. And I was like, well, but why is it so hard for you to shop? Like, you know, mm-hmm. like, don't blame me, you know, like, let's look at Also, the store. that's not my problem. That <laughs> <laughs> too, you know, <laughs> right. but, uh, but just kind of like, well, but then let's explore that. You know what I mean? Why is mm-hmm. that so hard? Um, Terry, what has your child or your children taught you the most about being a parent?
2: Patience, hundred mm-hmm. percent patience. Um, especially my oldest, because she has zero. So I think I have to have it for both of us. Um, and she was a really challenging toddler, I'll say, like a really challenging toddler. And so I think being able to be patient, being calm, stepping away when you need to step away and checking yourself so that you're not they're not like sucking you into the, to the how their behavior so that you're modeling what they need to see. Because um, it's easy sometimes to be like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to pop. I might pop right here. This is where it, this is where we this is how it this ends. This is how it ends. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and she's very strong willed. So I think that ha- being able to be like, you can be strong willed, just like, don't take me down in the process. Um, so I think patience has, I've been taught patience over and over again as a parent that I think every time I think I have it down, I'm like, oh no, 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 no try again. So, I and I think being a doula, it's patience, patience. You, you never know how long something's going to take. So I think all of that comes together, but I think that's the biggest thing my kids have taught me is that, and if you think you're a patient person and you have children and you're like, I'm not as patient as I thought I need to work on that. So I think that that's the biggest thing my kids have taught me. Yeah. It's funny when I hear the word
0: toddler, I automatically think of
2: patience. So when
0: I hear difficult toddler, I mean, I I'm thinking you're like along the lines of like sainthood here, because that that's a hard age. And I always make a joke with new parents where like, I always like say like, okay, I need you to get out for a walk. And my fantasy is that you're going to see a toddler screaming on the sidewalk. And then you're
2: going to know, well, at least they made it through this part. (laughs) Well, that's, you know what, that is my like line is this too shall pass the good and the bad. Like, right. It doesn't matter what it is it can be the best, most glorious day ever. It's going to end at some point and you're all going to go to bed and it's going to be fine. Um, Or it can be the worst day ever and you're all going to go to bed and tomorrow is going to be a new day. So, um, or phase of life, if they're not sleeping, they're not eating, whatever, it's going to move forward and this too shall pass. So I think that that was my mantra for a long time when she was little, because as, as difficult as she was, my son was not he I remember when he was a toddler wait like stealing for it being like okay here we go it just never came and I was like mind blown I was like (laughs) what that's not normal like that's not how they all are so I think that I think you know they're all different and you never know what you're gonna get but yeah it I feel like if you can make it through that I'm like all right we got like the rest of it's gonna be piece cake right because now I made it through that age (laughs)
0: Well, it's really true. And, you know, I have a sibling, so I think about it and I'm like, oh yeah, my sibling and I are different, but I find I have to remind people all the time, especially when they have the second baby, like the things that you had a hard time with, you're probably not going to have a hard time with, but now we're going to be in the territory of, we just don't know, like there's going to be new hard things that we just, we have no idea how it's going to go down. Uh, Meg, what has um, parenting your children
1: taught you the most about being a parent? Um, I would echo what Terry said with patience, but also with resilience. Um, and you know, I keep I keep going back to just helping them kind of navigate who they are and helping,, um, you know, just supporting that. But I think it's I think there's also, um, some different sides of me that I didn't necessarily know that were there, you know, obviously patient, but I kind of, I really enjoyed being like the PTA mom and helping out at school and doing the parties and things like that. like, from elementary all the way through high school. I was on PTA all the time and I really enjoyed that. And I, when I was little and my mom would volunteer at school, and like, oh, why are you here again? But then I was there every opportunity I got to do with the kids. And, you know, we coach, my husband coached the kids too. And that was, that was really fun to see that, you know, that side of him um, also. So it was, you know, you know, like I said, just kind of realizing different, different parts of, you know, of our personalities as well.
0: Yeah, that is a great one. So I'm going to ask you both this final question. And I'll start with you, Meg, since you were just talking. What is your biggest parenting advice to share with new parents?
1: Just to believe in yourself. You're the only parent this kid has. You're going to do it. You know, we all make mistakes, but just try again. Like Terry said, every day is a new day. You can try it again. Ask for help. Don't feel like you can't ask for help. Um, And I, you know, I tell clients when they, um, whether it's birth support or postpartum support, that's a high form of self-care. And when you know that you need that support and you need to reach out and ask for some help, then do it. You know, we're, that's what we're here for. We're here to support. We're here not to judge. But just, you know, go with your instinct. Give it a shot. Sometimes it's going to work. Sometimes it's not. But if it doesn't work, then you can try something different the next time.
0: That is really great advice. And Terry, what would you um say is your biggest parenting advice to new parents?
2: This too shall pass. It will. It it will be a new day tomorrow. Um, enjoy the little things because the years are, are long or the years are short, but the days are long. So just you don't have to love every day. And that's okay. You know, they they say soak up every moment. There's okay, it's okay to let some moments just shed and go away because they're <laughs> not all amazing. Um, but I think When you can be, be present with your kids. It doesn't mean that you can't take a break because everyone deserves a break and let yourself have that break because you cannot pour from an empty cup. So I think that that's important for parents to know too.
0: I think that's great advice also. Well, we are out of time. Thank you for joining us for episode five of Chicagoland Parenting Stories. And thank you to our guests, Meg Smith and Terry Hatfield of Cloud9 Birth and Doula Services.